Let's go ahead and get started. How's everybody doing out there? BK here coming at you 5.20 p.m. on a Friday evening, and it is the Pacific Coast time. The West Coast is the best coast. Come on, you know it's true. I know you're all sitting out there on the East Coast freezing your asses off, and you don't want to admit it, but you know it's true. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter, at BKActual, and uh, thank you once again for all of you tuning in. Uh, the podcast continues to grow. It's really cool to see. And that was, of course, Dolores O'Riordan and the Cranberries live. Uh, if you are new to the podcast... Uh, definitely, sometimes I like to pay tribute to musicians, particularly if they had a big influence on me as an amateur musician or if I really like their music. And of course, Dolores O'Riordan was one of both of those. Uh, shout out to my sister, Stephanie, actually. She's the one who introduced me to the Cranberries. I remember we were both in high school, and that was a long time ago. But a little bit about uh, Dolores before we get started. Uh, she did die on Monday in London. She was 46 years old. Now, her death was announced by her publicist who did not specify the cause. All they said was that she died suddenly in London, and that's what they said in an email statement. Her boyfriend is said to be uh, devastated by this. Apparently, it was not expected. So that leads you to perhaps have your mind going in a couple different directions here. Uh, a spokeswoman for the Metropolitan Police said on Monday that the police were called to a Park Lane hotel in Westminster, at about 9.05 a.m. and that Ms. O'Riordan was pronounced dead at the scene. Her death is not being treated as suspicious. Now, of course, she wrote lyrics and often music for the Cranberries' many 1990s hits, including Linger, which remained on uh, Billboard's Hot 100 chart for 24 weeks, and Dreams. Uh, she was the sole writer of the noisier, angrier Zombie, a response to an Irish Republican Army terrorist bombing in 1993, of course, one of their most famous songs. The Cranberries were formed in 1989 as the Cranberry Saw Us and renamed the Cranberries after Miss O'Riordan took over as lead singer in 1990. Uh, four of their albums reached the Billboard Top 10. And I'm just reading down the New York Times uh, obituary that they had. The Cranberries' 1993 debut album, Everybody Else is Doing It, So Why Can't We? That is the album that include those big hits, Linger and Dreams, and then it was the 1994 album, No Need to Argue, that had the single Zombie. And those were both produced by the guy who uh, produced The Smiths. I'm also a huge fan of them. That's Stephen Street. Now, uh, they disbanded in 2003. And then uh, Dolores O'Riordan released her first solo album in 2007 called Are You Listening? So... She was born on September 6, 1971, and grew up in County Limerick, Ireland. In 1994, she married Don Burton, a former tour manager for Duran Duran. Uh, now, six years after the Cranberries split, the group reunited and began touring again. But last year, the band canceled dates on its European and North American tours because of Miss O'Riordan's ongoing back problems. So, again, I'm wondering, she, did, she was famous for battling depression. So it's very possible this could have been self-inflicted. I hope not. But if she was suffering from these back problems, as we're going to see in just a second, real easy to overdose on those happy pills they give you. And how often on this podcast have we covered the devastating effects of opiates? So uh, I feel bad for family. Uh, again, huge fan for me. Uh, I, was, I, I did tweet out when I heard the news of her death that you know, I had a huge crush on her in high school because she was you know, good looking. She could sing. She could play like an awesome and 
she she was definitely the total package. So uh, rest in peace, Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries. And uh, just a side note, right before we started recording, Tom Petty, of course, the legendary musician, his autopsy results came in. And they, they are showing that the singer did die from an accidental drug overdose as a result of taking a variety of medications. And a huge thing you have to be worried about as a, as a paramedic or any kind of first responder are the toxicities that these medications can have with each other, especially if you're taking multiple of them. The interactions between drugs can be tricky, and it's hard to know. You know, you can't always be aware of how one drug is going to make another drug act. Well, his autopsy report, Tom Petty, shows the singer was on several pain meds, including fentanyl patches, oxycodone, temazepam, alprazolam, citalopram, acetylfentanyl, <laughs> and another kind of fentanyl. That's a lot of drugs, and that's a lot of opiates right there. The reason doctors prescribed the meds was because, as an aging rock star, Tom Petty had a number of medical problems, including emphysema, knee problems, and a fractured hip. You know, you jump around on stage for a few decades, and you're going to have some severe pain, hip problems, leg problems, knee problems, and as we all know, Tom Petty was still touring until very recently. So uh, very sad on that, and I just hope that we can get to a place one day where we don't have to rely on this kind of pain management. And it's very difficult. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it. Um, it's going to be remain to be seen if medical technology can get through. So uh, there's your music update as we get started. And you know, for something, you know, for our top story, sure, I could have done the stupid government shutdown. <laughs> where everybody's going crazy once again. You know, I mean, this just happened a couple of years ago. And remember, what did we learn a couple of years ago? That like 90% of the government was not shut down. And then Obama did the classic politician thing, and they do the same shit out here in California. It cracks me up. I still remember this because Obama, remember, the majority of the government stayed open, open for business. But Obama wants to send a message of pain, so he closes down like all those monuments, remember? That's like the one part of government that you know taxpayers come into uh, contact with quite a bit. So he wants to make sure he hits them with that. It's like out here when they have problems, they shut down the DMV. You know what I mean? They, they never shut down the hundreds and hundreds of useless offices they have, but they shut down the DMV because you have to use the DMV. It's the fucking oldest trick in the book. But anyway, I might talk about it a little bit later, but I thought I'd do something different because this kind of flew under the radar and it's very important. You guys know I like to cover stuff that maybe necessarily isn't the hugest story, but it's important. And that's what we had. I was fascinated with this CIA officer counterintelligence investigation. And this is a New York Times story. I'm trying to say the names of the sources more because you guys have asked me for that. So New York Times did an excellent piece on this. So why don't we get into this, and I'll start reading. Face-to-face -face with a former CIA officer in 2013, federal agents took a calculated risk. They did not confront him about the classified information they had found in his luggage, and they did not ask what they most wanted to know, whether he was a spy for China. This was a life-or-death call. The Chinese government had been systematically picking off American spies in China, dismantling a network that had taken the CIA years to build. A mole hunt was underway, and the former officer, Jerry Chun-Shing Lee, was the prime suspect. Now, the FBI could have arrested him on the spot for possessing classified information. 
But inside a secretive government task force, investigators argued against it, former American officials recalled. If Mr. Lee was a turncoat, arresting him on an unrelated charge would tip off the Chinese and allow them to cover their tracks. If he was not the mole, and some argued strenuously that he was not, an arrest might allow the real traitor to escape. So, the FBI allowed Mr. Lee to return to Hong Kong court paper show, where he hastily resettled with his family. The agents, the counterintel agents, working out of an office in Northern Virginia, gambled that by watching patiently, they might piece together how China had decimated the United States' spy network and determined whether Mr. Lee had helped. Nearly five years later, when Mr. Lee made a surprise return to the United States this week, the FBI made its move. He stepped off a Cathay Pacific flight at Kennedy International Airport on Monday and was waved through customs. Awaiting FBI agent Kelly O'Brien called out his name, according to court records. Mr. Lee answered and was arrested. His apprehension is on the same single charge that could have been brought years ago. And this is the latest development in one of the most damaging affairs in modern CIA history. Again, this is a, this is a big deal. And we're not really talking about it much because we're talking about stupid shit like Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Get in her later. But this does nothing to settle the question on how or whether Mr. Lee was involved. For years, he was the prime suspect in that mole hunt, but officials disagreed over whether he was actually to blame. One government official said there was no plan at the moment to charge Mr. Lee with espionage, handing over American secrets to the Chinese or anything beyond the one felony count of illegally possessing classified information. In an email, Mr. Lee's college-age daughter declined to discuss the case and said that no lawyer or family member was available to speak on his behalf. Now, this all goes back to this decimation of the CIA's network, and the New York Times wrote about it last year. They cited 10 current and former government officials who were not authorized to speak publicly about the investigation. Uh, a little bit about... Mr. Lee, oh, and by the way, when they did cite those 10 current and former government officials, several of them did identify Mr. Lee as the key suspect at the time. So he's been on the radar. Now, this guy Lee is 53 years old. Uh, he became a United States citizen, and uh, it doesn't say... So I guess he wasn't born here. New York Times left that out. They just say he became a United States citizen and after four years in the Army, studied international business management at Hawaii Pacific University. He graduated in 1992 and received a master's degree in human resource management the next year. From there, he joined the CIA, posing as an American diplomat while serving as a clandestine case officer. Um, from old records, he appears to have served in Tokyo from about 99 to 2002. Uh, so, when the CIA noticed in late 2010 that its spies were disappearing, suspicion did not turn immediately to Mr. Lee. But as fears of the mole grew, that government went ahead and then they set up that counterintelligence uh, task force. Now, analysts concluded that Mr. Lee, even though he had been out of the CIA for years, so he wasn't currently a member, had known the identities of many of those who had been killed or imprisoned. Uh, but warning signs can be wrong. At the CIA, top officials ruefully remember the treatment of Brian J. Kelly, an agency officer in the 1990s who was wrongly suspected of the FBI by being a Russian spy. More recently, the Justice Department's efforts to unearth Chinese spies have em suffered embarrassing setbacks, including dropped charges against prominent Chinese Americans. 
Yeah, that that's going to make you a little bit like more hesitant to pull the trigger. That's for sure, especially in the day and age we live in. You know, where like you how how dare you suspect the brave Chinese American case officer? Well, obviously there's reasons for it. Uh, there are other possible explanations. Uh, some investigators believe that China had cracked the CIA system for communicating with its informants. Uh, another group accused CIA officials in Beijing of being sloppy and allowing themselves to be identified when meeting with their informants. So, that's, <laughs> that, that's certainly possible. Uh, the FBI was watching in August 2012 when Mr. Lee secretly returned, I'm sorry, when Mr. Lee returned to the United States with his family. Agents secretly entered his hotel rooms in Hawaii and Virginia and discovered two small books with handwritten notes that contained classified information, including the identities of undercover CIA officials, court papers show. Hmm. Agents spoke with him repeatedly in the following months. Both the Attorney General at the time, Eric Holder, of course, and Robert Mueller, then the FBI Director, were personally briefed on the investigation. But senior government officials said they cannot recall any serious push to arrest Mr. Lee at the time or to try to charge him with espionage. So, in June 2013, that's when the agents let Mr. Lee leave the country. Current and former officials have said that the CIA's losses had ended by 2012, so there's no evidence that the decision allowed more informants to be captured or killed. At least once in recent years, Mr. Lee returned to the United States without attracting the FBI's attention. It was not clear how or why he did so. At some point, the Justice Department decided that if it had the chance, it would charge Mr. Lee. Officials suspected that opportunity might come back later this year when Mr. Lee's daughter graduated from college, an occasion that might make him visit the United States, which, of course, he did. So... Who knows? That's that's all. Obviously, it's very difficult to get any information out of the CIA, especially an ongoing case that hasn't even hit the courts. But uh, it's a huge issue, especially dealing with China. It's not exactly the easiest place to penetrate. You know, we you only have so many people who can get in deep with that. Obviously, there's a language barrier, cultural barrier, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, it's going to be difficult every time. So we'll 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 keep an eye on that one. Now, moving on. This, man, I, I'm shocked this story didn't get more play. There's so much good shit in here. Did you hear about what happened at the Coalinga State Hospital here in California? Yeah, this is great. There were violent protests there that erupted because new rules restricting the use of personal electronic devices were put into place. Okay? Uh... On Tuesday, the Associated Press reported that Department of State hospital officials cited lawsuit testimony claiming that a porn epidemic exists at the hospital. The AP wrote, at least 200 Koalinga patients have been involved with the possession or transmission of child pornography. And there are typically two or three new child pornography cases reported each month, which require investigation. Uh, patients also copy and sell or exchange legal movies and music for profit. And what's the best part? Well, this hospital, in case you don't know, it houses about 1,300 patients, and most of whom are all sexually violent predators. So this is the big house where they stick all the fucking uh, boy diddlers. This is where they stick them all. So 
patients, attorneys, and family members describe varying scenes of pandemonium through the hospital as frustrations over newly tightened rules boiled over. So, so they started freaking out and rioting because they were getting their electronic devices filled with their child porn confiscated. That's nice. Um, a few of them, a few details came out of the riot. On Saturday, a group of patients apparently threw urine at the employees of the hospital's patient cafe. They have a cafe? <laughs> what kind of place is this? Uh, apparently, also, several fires have been started since this lockdown began. Uh, a nurse's station was attacked as patients apparently used mop buckets and chairs to smash the windows. <laughs> oh, God. The AP reported that the department made 11 child pornography arrests last year just at this hospital. Um, the patients... This is nonsense. Now, now, and then, so then all the fucking SJW lawyers jump in here and say, How dare you confiscate my patient's cell phone filled with child porn? You can't make this shit up, dude. Uh, one woman named Renella Smith, her son Tim is currently a patient at this hospital. He is serving a prison, I'm sorry, he served a prison sentence for assault with the intent to commit rape and is now awaiting a hearing to determine if he can be released. Yeah, but I, how many times I tell you, all they want to let people out of jail here so bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, old Tim called his mother Friday night to tell her that order at the hospital had begun to deteriorate. Some of the patients were screaming in anger as they ran around throwing themselves against walls. One man threw a typewriter through a window. Others bought jam and jelly from the hospital store and smeared it across the walls. Oh, man. Uh, what else is in here? Anything? Uh, patients, in case you're wondering here, they're only allowed to have commercially produced CDs and DVDs and media players with no access to the Internet. And the hospital is allowed to supervise patients' use of digital media. Um, a Santa Barbara attorney who did not wish to give her name. <laughs> I bet. I bet. She told the Sacramento Bee her client has been unable to reach her husband, who has been a patient at the hospital for a decade. Patient. Jesus. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised the attorney doesn't want her name mentioned, you know? These are all the, uh, these are all the people. That's nice life. Seriously, nice life you've made for yourself. The, there, and there are attorneys like this. There's, some, there's this bizarre subset of attorneys out here who really fight hard for violent sexual predator rights. It's... Uh, it's shocking to me, but, uh, you know, if that's what you want to do with your life, yeah, that's, that's nice. And speaking of fucking crazy people, how about this couple in Paris, California? Again in California. This is Paris as in P-E-R-R-I-S, not Paris, France, obviously. And this, of course, is that crazy sex dungeon house. I shouldn't say sex dungeon, but I'm, I'm guessing... There's going to be sexual activity that went on. This was the couple that beat, strangled, and shackled their children for years. The abuse escalating from neglect to torture over time. Uh, former charges were announced Thursday against these parents who are accused of abusing their 13 children inside their Paris home. David Turpin, 56 years old, and Louise Turpin, 49, were each charged with multiple felony counts of torture, child abuse, abuse of dependent adults, and false imprisonment. Oh, here it is. 
Uh, Riverside County District Attorney Michael Hestron announced David Turpin was also charged with one count of a lewd act on a child by force. If convicted, they face up to 94 years to life in prison. Hmm. Yeah, this is wacky. The, the Turpin's 13 children range in age from 2 to 29. I, I can't get over this story. A 29-year-old. One of them is 20 fucking 9 years old. Think of what kind of brainwashing must have been implemented from what kind of age to get somebody who's 29 to stay in the house. And apparently it wasn't like a huge house or anything either. Uh, the Riverside County DA had a pretty good press conference. Uh, let's see. I got to think I have a little clip here. Yeah, here we go. So this is the Riverside County DA, and he had a little press conference explaining how it went when the officers rolled up the house. Let's hear This is uh, Michael Hestron. Let's hear this. The evidence is that three victims were chained up at the time the police first knocked on the door at the home in Paris. The defendants were able to get two of the victims unchained before the police actually entered. An 11 and 14-year-old were unchained as the police stood at the door, while a 22-year-old remained chained to a bed when the police entered the home. Circumstantial evidence in the house suggests that the victims were often not released from their chains to go to the, to the bathroom. Jesus. Yeah, and, and if you haven't heard, basically one of the teenage girls, a 17-year-old, she's the one who escaped the house and alerted police about conditions inside, and she had been working on a plan to escape for two years, so they knew something wasn't right here. That's for sure. Uh, the parents would buy food for themselves but not allow the children to eat it. The couple would buy apple pies that only he and his wife ate and toys that sat unopened. This fucking guy's a psycho. Um, the children were barely allowed to bathe and had not seen a doctor in four years. None of them had ever been to a dentist. If the children washed their hands above the wrist, they were accused of playing with water and would be chained up. They were shackled and fed on a set schedule. This is nuts. Um... Yeah, the abuse started when the family lived in Fort Worth, Texas. At the time, the parents lived apart from the children and dropped off food for them from time to time. So weird. Uh, at first, they tied the children with ropes. After one was able to escape the ropes, the parents started using chains and padlocks to keep them from leaving their beds. <laughs> and yet, the children were allowed to write in journals. Obviously, that... You think that's going to fucking, man, that's going to be a book one day. Can you imagine what the fuck they're going to find in there? Um, and David and Louise Turpin, oh, by the way, they've pled not guilty to all charges. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad they pled not guilty. Can we give them the death penalty for this? Uh, they are being, of course, represented by public defenders. I don't know, like... He apparently used to be an engineer, but hasn't worked in, like, years. So I'm just wondering how they lived. I know we're in California. You can get benefits for everything. But it's, it's wild. The teenager, uh, the 17-year-old, she used a deactivated cell phone to make the call. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but even if a phone is not, like, has no, no uh, account, you can pick up a phone and dial 911. That does work. So that's uh, something for you people to know. And they were so malnourished, the kids, deputies at first assumed that from the children's frail appearance that all of them were minors, but later determined that seven of them were adults. The 29-year-old 
only weighs 82 pounds. Now, their house was registered as a homeschool. Uh, at least one of the children attended college classes. Louisa Turpin accompanied him to the college classes and waited outside the classroom. When he was finished with class, she would take him home. This is, man, you know what? There's this, how do you get away at, like, no, and nobody fucking called the cops. Nobody thought, like, I was listening to all the stupid neighbors because they're always interviewing them. And the neighbors are like, oh, yeah, we'd see him do weird shit, like, march up and down through the windows. We could see him, like, being marched, like, in formation. <coughs> and also, it's 13 kids, and yet there was, like, never any noise at the house. It's fucking bizarre, man. Like, what I tell you? You don't know what people are doing. You don't know. Uh, that should be a hoot. I'm sh I'm shocked they're playing. Well, you know, he's a religious kook. That's the thing. He's very religious. And maybe that's why they're pleading not guilty. Like, he's like, you have no right to tell me how to raise my children, and it's my religious belief, and how dare you come into, you know, between my beliefs and my children. I don't know what the what they're thinking, but they're, they're going to go to jail for a long time. I can't wait till the fucking book comes out about that. What else? Oh, we had some good, uh, we had some good, uh, interesting illegal uh, immigration news, which uh, you know I always like to cover here. DACA aside, we'll get into that in a minute. But we had some funny stuff go on. This was great. So, I, I have some great audio here. Just hours after the Oakland City Council voted unanimously to end any cooperation with agents from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Mayor Libby Schaff said Wednesday she would go to jail if needed in her opposition to ICE raids. This is great. Now, I have the audio here, and I want you, here's what I want you to do. While you listen to this, this is like a, you know, middle-aged, uh, white-ish woman or something like that. But I want, I, want you to, I, want, I want you to keep this in mind. Have you ever heard a mayor or an elected official in any way talk with this much passion about anything? And the reporter is going to ask her about this because you guys have heard ICE is planning sweeps. Uh, hey, by the way, ICE, you might want to tighten that up. Why are you fucking letting your plans be known? But let's listen to Libby Schaap. She's being interviewed here. This should be gold. Here we go. ...to the uh, ICE pending raids. Uh, it's no surprise that the bully-in-chief is continuing to try and intimidate our most vulnerable residents. But we are very clear about what our values are here in Oakland. We are here to protect all of our residents, regardless of where they came from. We are here to make sure that people feel safe, that mothers feel like they can pick up the phone and call their local police department, <laughs> dial 911 safely, and that we are here to protect families, not rip them apart. Rip Ripping, tearing. Do if ICE shows up to pick up somebody that has a warrant out for them or has had their documentation pulled and they go out into the community, your police aren't going to be there to help keep things safe. Okay, let me be clear that cities that have sanctuary status are engaging in their legal right. Uh, let me, all right, let me stop right there. First of all, that's, that's, that's a myth, okay? We need to clear, remember... Remember, you fucking... Remember, good liberals? Remember the big Arizona immigration fight when all of you told me, and it was proven in the courts that immigration, the feds have the final say? This doesn't seem to be sinking in. It really doesn't. Under existing law, ICE is going to come in, and because you don't want to cooperate, instead of just having to hand over the criminals, they're going to take everybody. 
And this is going to create a bad situation for all the officers involved because now the feds, what if the feds are executing a warrant and somebody calls 911 and says, oh, there's a man with a gun. And now the Oakland police come screaming up because they've been ordered not to help in any way, right? So they don't know anything. All they know is they got a call with a guy with a machine gun. I'm using like, you know, what a civilian would say. This is where this is heading. I swear to God, this is going to end up in a fucking gunfight. <laughs> it's crazy to me. And I fucking cannot get over this fucking, listen to how passionate she is about protecting illegal immigrants, not immigrants, all of you apologists. <laughs> Shout out to my Twitter buddy, Amy. We were talking about this last night. Um, you know what? And I know I could see her point when we were talking about this on Twitter. So she, she had a point that I have to address. She said something like, well, listen, somebody's immigration status has no bearing on the crime they commit. Now, that's one of those, that's one of those like uh, interesting theories to toss about in like a law journal or a law classroom or amongst lawyers, you know? But that's, not, and that's one of those things in the real world that's not going to fucking fly, okay? You're, gonna, you're not going to fucking tell the guy whose son was murdered by an illegal alien gangbanger the guy whose daughter was shot by an illegal alien. The mom who, the, whose son, police officer's son, was killed by an illegal alien. You're not going to sit there and wag your finger at them and say like, oh, well, his crime has nothing to do with his status. That's, that's, that's just not, that's not going to work. I'm sorry. And let's hear what else. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know what? As I've often covered on these, I just want to point out that much of the time, the victims here are other immigrants Many of them, you know, not legal, or, or many of them legal. Many of them Latino, killed by a Latino illegal immigrant. You know, this isn't, like I've said many times, this isn't just an effect like some suburban, you know, family. This is all over the place. But honestly, I'm at a point now, I'm like, you know what, fine. Fucking do what you want. And then when all the, then when a whole family gets killed, well, hey, this is what you wanted, Mayor. Let's listen to this, uh, let's see what else Libby says here. This should be funny. Sanctuary status are engaging in their legal right no. to be a sanctuary city. No such thing we exists. We are exploring whether there are legal actions we can take against the federal government there aren't. for retaliating against cities and jurisdictions that are exercising their fully legal right to be a sanctuary city. Again, this doesn't exist. <laughs> that would be nice for the reporter to say, wouldn't it? Oh, hold on for a second. Uh, let's let's keep going. Why not? magic words she said the magic word diversity everybody stop now these fucking people are delusional honestly ice is gonna go in there there is not a freaking thing you can do about it and she knows this completely i just can't get over how worked up she sounds but go ahead oakland 
No skin off my back. You go ahead, be a sanctuary city, and the next time some guy who was uh so who who had, who had already been arrested and should have been deported but was released kills somebody then we'll have the cry face story again and by the way those cases those hypotheticals i said earlier about you know murders and all that those those are all cases that actually happened and and every time by the way all of those illegal immigrants were arrested and then released back in the american public instead of being deported so don't tell me illegal immigration is a victimless crime it's not it's absurd what else? Uh, but yeah, dude, honestly, if, if I start seeing ICE raids, if I start seeing SJW mayors, social justice warrior mayors like Schaff and Eric Garcetti of LA, if I see them like getting tased by ICE and then like with a boot to the neck and then let off to jail, I, I might quit the podcast at that point. I, I might quit Twitter. It will never get funnier to me than that. So anyway, we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, ICE, dude, who's leaking? You got to keep, maybe this is all head fake by ice though. You know, maybe they're like, oh yeah, we're coming in. We're coming in. We're arresting thousands. We're flying in thousands of troops. And maybe they just get the mayors all worked up and then they go somewhere else. That would be the smart thing to do. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, I did promise. Okay. So I do have to talk about the government shutdown a little bit. So that's apparently happening. Oh my God. You know, fucking. As one person said on Twitter, you know, oh, shit, the government's going to shut down for 36 hours and uh, 80, 85% of it's still going to be open. Oh, my God, the humanity, right? I know, it's hysteria. So negotiations are continuing, and this is all over DACA and funding for CHIP. That's the Children's Health Insurance Program and other things. Uh, negotiations are continuing with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and House Speaker Paul Ryan, and of course, President Donald Trump. Now, Democrats are refusing to back a short-term spending bill unless it includes protections for illegal immigrants brought to the country as children. And this is another thing. Every plan that I've seen actually gives the DACA. Every one of them. So on that, there's... But the Democrats don't want anything that interferes with the future flow coming from around the world. They don't want the wall. They don't want any end to chain migration. They don't want any end to temporary protected status. They don't want any end to the H-1B visa. They don't want any end to the diversity lottery, all that crap. They don't want, because, you know, statistics show as immigrants, like, generations go by, they become more right-leaning. So, obviously... You need a steady supply. And the studies have also shown that like 80% of immigrants vote Democrat. So of course you're going to want it. It's clear what their motivation is. I just think it's funny how they keep like emphasizing like, we must pass DACA and then we'll worry about border security. And I'm like, oh yeah. So <laughs> in other words, give up your only chip that you're holding, your only Trump card. Give that up and then we'll do border security later. Haven't we already fucking done that? Now, Donald Trump tweeted out um, today, excellent preliminary meeting in Oval Office with Senator Schumer, working on solutions for security and our great military together with Senate Minority Leader McConnell and Speaker Ryan, making progress. Four-week extension would be best, exclamation point. Uh, Chuck Schumer said we had a long and detailed meeting. That's the meeting this afternoon. We discussed all of the major outstanding issues. We made some progress, but we still have a good number of disagreements. The discussions will continue. According to a White House source, Schumer arrived in the Oval Office and presented the president with a list of demands on domestic issues that went well beyond just DACA. 
The president listened to Schumer and appeared perplexed as Schumer rattled off his agenda items. The president told Schumer he wasn't going to get all of those demands in a spending, well, spending bill. Schumer did appear open to considering a continued resolution that would keep the government funded for five days. The official White House position is still a 30-day extension. Now, this is something that I've been talking about for a long time, too, because there's a, you have to understand what we're talking about. USA Today had a good story about dreamers. And who exactly are the dreamers? Is it 800,000? Is it more? Well, it breaks it down. Now, what they're calling dreamers, there's actually like 3.6 million dreamers in the country, not 800,000. Now, what the 800,000 is, is mostly young dreamers accepted into the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Okay, so the 800,000 is just the DACA people. There's actually like 3.6 million people who are brought to the United States. While many politicians use Dreamer and DACA interchangeably, the terms are not a distinction without a difference. The 3.6 million estimate of undocumented uh, immigrants brought to the U.S. before their 18th birthday comes from the Migration Policy Institute. Now, the Dreamers got their name from the DREAM Act, a bill that has been proposed in Congress since 2001 but never passed, and that would protect that group of all immigrants who are brought before their 18th birthday, no matter how old they are now. Okay, you guys tracking on this? Uh, So, let me see. I'm just rolling through. Now, Now, DACA. Okay, to qualify for DACA, I know some of this is basic, but it's important because nobody ever talks about these details. That's what you tune in here for. To qualify for DACA, created in 2012, Dreamers had to undergo a thorough background check, prove they arrived in the U.S. before their 16th birthday, were 30 years old or younger, were attending school or in the military, and had not committed a felony or serious misdemeanor. The program provided work permits and two-year reprieves from deportation that could be renewed. Obama said he chose to protect only a limited number of these dreamers because he could only go so far through executive action. Now, there are several legislative proposals that each protect different numbers of dreamers. So the most generous proposal, there's a bunch going on here. The most generous proposal is the American Hope Act, introduced by Representative Luis Gutierrez. He's the Democrat out of Illinois. He's the uh, illegal immigration fanatic. That would provide legal status to 3.5 million dreamers, all of them. Another plan, known as the DREAM Act, presented to Trump by a bipartisan group of senators last week, would allow 2.1 million to stay in the country. And that was part of what Lindsey Graham wanted. Uh, But again, this is all ludicrous to me, because if you do it, say you did it, right? Say, even if you pass DACA, and I've been on, and I've said this for years, I've said, end the visa overstays, deport all the illegal alien felons, uh, I'm on the. Fa- I'm okay with the wall. It's not totally necessary, but okay. I'm with the wall. Uh, end chain migration, and then you get DACA. That's a fair deal to me, and I think most people would think that's fair. But we know why they'll never accept that. They need continuing uh, illegal immigration to come up. I don't. I don't know what they're thinking on it. So um, I'm just scrolling through the rest of the story here. Then there was. And I have to thank the. Those of you who sent me this, by the way, uh, there were a couple of other funny 
illegal immigration-related stories in the news. First of all, uh, California Attorney General Javier Becerra, he basically warned employers that they would be prosecuted if they voluntarily cooperated with the federal government. Now, the federal government has for many decades, you know, like audited employers, like we just saw with like 7-Eleven, right? Javier Becerra is saying like now, because we're a sanctuary state out here, you cannot, if, if ICE calls you up and says like, hey, we'd like to take a look at your payroll. Uh, I, I'm assuming that if they have a warrant, even Javier Becerra is not insane enough to say you can't cooperate, but who knows? But he did say if you voluntarily cooperate and maybe they don't have a warrant, they could go after you. Let's listen to, uh, and he's another fanatic. Let's listen to what he says right here. Okay, let me make sure I tell you what I said or I try to repeat what I said. There are new laws in place in California now in 2018 with the advent of 2018. I mentioned two of them specifically, AB, uh, AB 450 and SB 54. AB 450 in particular deals with the workplace uh, in particular and how we go about treating the information about the workplace and employees at the workplace by employers such that we try to protect the privacy interests of people who work there and that we're not sharing information in ways that would violate the the rights the privacy rights of those individuals and the ability of folks to work free of uh, coercion and free of, of fear at the, at the workplace and so what we're trying to just make sure is that employers are aware that this is 2018 there is a new law in place and you know that the admonition that's out there for anyone is ignorance of the law is no excuse if you violate it and it's important that employers in california understand what these new laws are because ignorance of the law does not let you escape punishment and we want our our employers who are working really hard to keep our economy going and employ more folks to understand what these new laws are can you fucking believe this guy and can you believe all of this these freaky politicians out here all for illegal immigrants who came disrespected our laws they knew the law they chose to say fuck you anyway and come anyway and do what they want it fucking blows my mind the lengths they will go for the protection. It's fucking insane. Um, I just have a few other funny videos here. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught this, but uh, the ICE director, uh, Kirstjen, she's got this weird Nordic name, Nielsen, she went to Capitol Hill to testify, and Cory Booker, the senator, he decided to grandstand a little bit because he was he was super upset when Trump made the shithole comment. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I tweeted out like, because Cory Booker said, like, he cried when somebody called him and told him what Trump said in the meeting. And I was like, he did, did, <laughs> did not cry. Are you kidding? He was probably laughing. He was so happy. It gives him a chance to grandstand. So here's Cory Booker shouting <laughs> at, at the ICE director. Let's hear how this nut sounds. I go through the black belt in the South. When I'm in Atlanta, black churches in Newark, they're concerned about jihadist Islamic terrorism. We watched the Twin Towers from Newark go down. But since 9-11, 85 violent incidents, 73% were with people that hold bigoted, hateful ideas about minorities. Huh? One American killed in Charleston, Virginia, and dozens 
injured. Nine Americans killed in a shirt shooting in Charleston, South Carolina by a white supremacist. An American killed and another wounded in Kansas after a white supremacist targeted them for their ethnicity, saying, get out of my country. Six, six Americans killed and four others wounded in Wisconsin, where white supremacists targeted individuals for their religion. The commander-in-chief, in an Oval Office meeting, referring to people from African countries and Haitians with the most vile and vulgar language. So vulgar. <laughs> Both language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our country. Yeah, testify, brother. Your silence and your amnesia is complicity. <laughs> okay. There's old Corey. It's, it's okay to shout at women again on the stand. I like that. That was great. Uh, yeah, even like a lot of the uh, left-wingers were like, dude, you're, you're kind of laying it on a little bit thick. Uh, yeah, so, and in addition to that, we had an illegal immigrant with a criminal record who had been previously deported seven times. Uh, he was arrested again after he stabbed a 61-year-old man in the neck in Santa Rosa. Again, don't try to fucking tell me it's a victimless crime. And even better than him, he was, that was one guy. Even better than him, though, was the fucking guy in court. Did you guys see this? Luis Bracamontes. He was a guy, an illegal immigrant, who killed two cops in 2014. For some fucking reason, he still hasn't been found guilty because shit takes forever now because we have a stupid justice system. Anyway, this guy was being... He's been fucking basically sitting in court and disrupting it. It's like they, they think the theory is he's trying to make the... He's trying to make the jury think he's nuts. Because apparently this Bracamonte guy keeps bursting in, like interrupting the procedures. Uh, the judge ordered the jury out of the room during this latest outburst. Uh, I'm not sure how too good this audio is, but basically Bracamonte says, like, you know, fuck him. Fuck the cops. I'd do it again. Let's hear if we can let's tell uh hear if we can tell this. Be silent. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, please step out of the hallway. I'll break out soon and kill more. And if you didn't catch the first half of it, he was like, I wish I, they're fucking dead. I don't fucking regret it. I wish I killed more. Yeah, nice guy. He uh, he murdered Sacramento County Sheriff's Deputy Danny Oliver and then Placer County Sheriff's Detective Mike Davis Jr. during a crime spree that also included carjacking and other shooting victims in October of 2014. Now, I'm sure that he had also been previously arrested and then released before he did this, but the story doesn't... I, I couldn't find his fucking criminal history anywhere. Dude, I have five billion stories about Donald Trump and his cholesterol levels and none of this shit. This is what drives me crazy about the media. They focus on trivial-ass shit. Like, I don't give a fuck. Uh, another outburst that Bracamonte did? <laughs> um, apparently, at one point, he hurled the N-word and other racial insults at the final witnesses of the day, who was an African-American man who said Bracamonte shot him five times in a failed attempt at the carjacking. Bracamonte said, you're lucky I didn't kill you, after calling him the racial slur. Uh, 
the African-American witness named Holmes said, fuck you. And as Holmes left the witness stand, he said, black lives don't matter. And then he shouted monkey as Holmes left the stand right at him. So, yeah, real fucking... This this is great. I, I just can't get enough of this. But yet on the media... Every fucking guy, every illegal immigrant is like a Rhodes Scholar. No mention of this at all. It barely, and most of the time, you know, you, have, they, you don't, these don't even make the news. You have to really dig to find out that the guy has, it'll say like at the bottom of the story, because it'll say like, you know, San Diego man arrested. You're like, okay. And at the very bottom of the story, you see like he was placed on an ice detainer. But they like, don't make a headline out of it. You got to go looking for it. Let's fucking move on. There's your illegal immigration update. DACA. Uh, if I had to predict, here's what I predict. Like I said, I'm sure we will have, uh, the Republicans will get rolled on immigration like they always do. They'll give like a ridiculous deal. And then 15 years from now, or probably even sooner than that, we will be right back here saying, now what do we do about the next batch that came? Since, since they were all back in the home country and then they saw that old DJT was handing out amnesties and they showed up. So what do you get? You're going to do another one of these in five years, 10 years, 15 years, every 10 years? Who fucking knows? It'll never end. So, and it never has ended. (laughs) This is like, this has been a pattern since I've been watching this shit. Every fucking time. Like, yeah, we get what we want. Yes, yes, we'll do all the border security later. Yeah, fine, sure. And then we'll be right back here. Because if you only legalize the people who got here before 2012, well, that was eight years ago. You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what I mean. Six years ago. That was six years ago. So what about all the kids who arrived unaccompanied or otherwise uh, who have arrived here since 2012? What about them? You think the dream, or the dream activists or whatever they're called are just going to stop once they get this d- group of DACA? No. The whole concept, the whole, the dream is to have no borders. Everybody comes and goes as they please. If that's your thing, make that case. I just don't like the dishonesty. I don't like the people who are like, oh, no, 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 we need border security, but no, no, we can't deport anyone. And I'm like, well, what the fuck point? What's the point of that then? It's ludicrous. What else? Ah, Nigeria. (laughs) Religion of priests struck again. I'm assuming it was them. In case you didn't hear, because this barely made the news too. Uh, A double suicide bombing at a market in Nigeria's northern city of, mm, tricky one, Maiduguri? M-A-I-D-U-G-U-R-I. A double suicide bombing killed at least 12 people and wounded 48 others. Wow. Um, the first bomber attacked inside the market while the other remained outside, killing only himself. <laughs> Idiot. You failed at even being a suicide bomber. Uh, one witness said suddenly there was a loud bang and everyone became disorganized. I counted 12 corpses and over 40 injured victims. Although there was no immediate claim of responsibility, the attack was similar to many carried out by the Islamist extremist group Boko Haram. Uh, Muna Garage, the site of a camp for displaced people, has been attacked several times in the past few years by Boko Haram insurgents. Now, Maidu Guri is the capital of Borno State, and this has been a refuge for thousands of people displaced by the insurgency in Nigeria's northeast. Um, in its nine-year insurgency, Boko Haram has killed more than 20,000 people. The group often uses women and children as suicide bombers, often after abducting and indoctrinating them. Oh, Jesus. 
It's crazy. I was watching a, um, I was watching a documentary, and it showed the. It was kind of the rise of Boko Haram, and it was just fucking gnarly the way they do. They're just making dudes lay down and smoking them with like AKs and hacking heads off. I mean, it was fucking brutal. It was like the real deal. Uh, what else is in the news? Oh, man, the Vegas shooter. You know, we try to keep on top. There's so many stories that just kind of slip by. I've really been trying to keep on top of this one because it's fascinating. Investigators have still not discovered what motivated Stephen Paddock to embark on the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history, but determined that he researched SWAT tactics ahead of the massacre and investigated other possible targets, including the famed California Beach in Santa Monica. And they, they have said that they believe he acted alone when he opened fire from his high-rise hotel suite and killed 58 people. Uh, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo made public a preliminary report into the shooting and said he does not expect charges to be filed against Paddock's girlfriend, who had been previously called a person of interest in the case. Uh, in a twist, investigators also found that Paddock had possessed... Uh, child pornography, and I have the clip of the sheriff talking about that right here. Let's hear, uh, this is Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo. You will see in the report Paddock's disturbing search history from his computers to include extensive search history of ballistics and SWAT tactics. You will see that we recovered numerous photographs of child pornography. No. And as to the missing hard drive that was mentioned in previous press conferences, we have yet to determine when the hard drive was removed. It could have been in close proximity to 1 October, or it could have been years prior. We are unable to locate it. As you will read, there was no suicide note, nor a manifesto left behind. No ideology or radicalization was discovered. We hope that the work continues to be done on this case and will eventually help paint a more complete psychological picture on why Paddock committed such evil. Hmm. And he also said, Lombardo also said, the FBI is investigating a person of interest with respect to the case, but that person is not his girlfriend and did not participate in the shooting. Interesting. I wonder who that is. That's crazy. Hmm. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one too. Lot to it's just it's nuts to me. Like these guys, they usually the you know the mo is they want people to know their grievances. They want to they want to air the grievances. This uh, I don't know. This guy just wanted to kill people. I guess who knows? I'm I'm interested. I'm fascinated. I want to see who that person is that they're investigating. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, sad story. Again, I'm surprised this didn't get into the news a little bit more. A woman, a mother, killed her YouTube star kids before throwing herself off a bridge, police say. A woman named Christina Treadway killed Isaiah Miller, seven years old, and three-year-old Ilya Miller, and then took her own life last weekend. Wow. She's 34 years old. She murdered the children in her home before jumping off the I-485 bridge in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um... Man, that's the, cops told the local uh, TV that she badly assaulted her offspring. Uh, the child's father has been ruled out as a person of interest in the crime and is said to be heartbroken. Uh, they said their, the grandparents said their son was out with friends when he received a text from his longtime girlfriend saying she's going to end it all. 
So he's at, he was at a football game. She texted him saying that she loves him, she's sorry, and that she's going to end it all and the kids. God, imagine getting that fucking text. So apparently this chick had a popular YouTube channel. She posted 23 videos of herself and young family in the past year on the video sharing site with the adorable videos of her children singing and having fun, amassing tens of thousands of views. That's a lot of hits. And then she fucking just goes nuts and offs herself. Ugh, it's lunacy. Uh, the percentage of young adult women who filled prescriptions for drugs used to treat attention deficit disorder has increased more than fivefold since 2003, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported. The new report raises questions about the increasing use of a diagnosis that was once reserved for children and adolescents. But they tracked prescriptions for drugs to treat ADHD like Adderall among women aged 15 to 44 between 2003 and 2015. The sample included more than 4 million women per year on average, all of whom had private insurance with drug coverage. Uh, the prescription rates increased sharply in all age groups, but most steeply among young adult women by 700% among women aged 25 to 29 and by 560% among women aged 30 to 34. Now, Adderall and Ritalin, as you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but they, you know, they've been, they're, they're kind of, they've become kind of party drugs. And they're also like study drugs. You know, shit, I know tons of people who take Adderall all the time, especially if they have a lot of studying to do or they got a big project coming up. Or if they're going out for the night, you know, pop a little Addy. And you're, you're, you're up all night, especially if you get some of that time release shit. Oh, my God. You could be up for days. It's fucking nuts. What else do we have? Oh, yeah. Uh, Trump is a dictator, apparently, but that didn't stop the Senate from clearing the path for Congress to extend a national security agency's warrantless surveillance program for six years. <laughs> Now, I do have to hand it to him. The vote was only 60 to 38. So, uh, they rejected bipartisan calls to first vote on amendments that would have imposed significant new privacy protections when the program sweeps up Americans' emails. The bill passed last week in the House, which first rejected an amendment that would have required government officials to get warrants in most instances to search for Americans' messages in the program's repository. Hmm. While the Senate approval of the bill had been widely expected, the outcome of Tuesday's vote was not certain because several lawmakers, including Senators Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, and Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, had vowed to filibuster the legislation. Wow. The vote was closely watched because civil liberties liberals have been pressuring Democrats to oppose the surveillance extension without the sort of changes the House rejected last week so we're still so don't worry we're still spying on everybody <laughs> that's nice to know the stock market continues to just fucking cruise along it's amazing as a matter of fact the dow jones industrial average gained 31 percent during donald trump's first year as president that is the best uh that is the most a stock market has gained in a president's first year since FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The S&P 500 has surged 23% during Trump's 
first year in office. Uh, wow, you know, and oh, you know, and FDR. Yeah, it didn't come close to his record, though. The Dow skyrocketed 96.5% during Roosevelt's first year in office. So you're going to have to go away to match that one. So yeah, so, so Franklin Roosevelt had the highest with 96.5, then Donald Trump at 31.3, then Harry Truman at 30.9, and then Barack Obama at 28. So I remember the stock market also boomed during Obama's first year. Uh, this revamp, of course, that Trump oversaw with the tax bill included slashing the corporate tax rate to 21% from 35%. So... Well, uh, that's, uh, that's good. And as a matter of fact, Tim Cook from Apple said he is now, and he said specifically because of this tax cut, now he could, be, he, he could be bullshitting, but he did say, Tim Cook, that because of these new corporate tax rates and other incentives, that he's now going to bring back billions and billions of dollars that have been offshore. As a matter of fact, they said, their plan to repatriate billions in overseas cash uh, will contribute $350 billion to the U.S. economy over the next five years. Incredible. And it will create 20,000 new jobs and open a new campus. Apple expects to pay about $38 billion in taxes for the hoard of cash it plans to bring back to the United States. Now, uh, in case you didn't know, Apple had long kept a lot of cash overseas. Uh, I believe a lot of it was in uh, Ireland because they had favorable corporate tax rates compared to what we had. So now they say they're going to bring home all the money. And Tim Cook himself went on CNBC and said, yeah, this has a, this has a lot to do with it. What else happened? Oh, there were, uh, there were a few special elections and uh, Republicans are getting nervous because in all of them, Democrats increased hugely their percentage, and these were and at four. There were four. There were five special elections. Now Republicans won four of them, but in every case, the Democrat closed the gap from in comparison to how Donald Trump won it. You know what I'm saying? And the one that's raising eyes is in the Wisconsin special election, where Democrat Patty Schachtner scored a nine-point victory in a special election. And she flipped a district that had been held by the GOP since 2000, and President Trump won that district by 17 points. So that's a massive, that's a 26-point swing. And, I mean, dude, you got to show up, you know? Like, nobody shows up to the special elections. And if you have one party that's clearly way more motivated than the other, they're going to win. So, um, I don't, hey... You know what? Honestly, I can totally see this happening. It's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of motivated people in 2018. So maybe the blue wave will happen. I don't know. And then then we'll then we'll go through impeachment. I guess who fucking knows? I can't wait for that. Oh man, uh, the rapper uh, Kodak Black I was in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I like to keep up on my rap game. You know, I keep my ear to the streets. So the rapper Kodak Black, listen to this dumbass. An Instagram video of an alleged pot party at Kodak Black's home led to the performer's return to jail, said the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Uh, they, so they're filming themselves at this party. 
And Kodak Black had a friend who was apparently holding a handgun right in front of like an infant. And another guy had a marijuana joint lit and burning away in his mouth inches from the infant's face. <laughs> a second, another man was rolling a joint right next to the infant. So they just had this infant sitting down while they're waving guns around and smoking joints. <laughs> and then they put it on fucking Instagram. Uh, dude, can't fix stupid, I guess. Honestly, I'm kind of just, you know what, my, my, my great law enforcement listeners, which I have many, I fucking, you guys, it must be awesome Be all you have to do now is sit on the internet and watch these dumb fucks go on Facebook Live and flash all their bags of drugs and stuff. This must be so much easier than crime used to be, I imagine. Oh, man. Oh, President Trump had the big fake news awards. <laughs> yeah. You know what? So I have a theory about this. So remember the so remember Trump like what it was like a week ago and he and he tweeted out. He tweeted out the there's a you know I'm I'm going to be presenting the winners of the fake news awards and he said like some date like a week in the future. And I think he was just fucking with the media, but then the day where he said he was going to do it arrived and like everybody was talking about it, like it was all over Twitter. So then I think the GOP was like, dude, we should put something together. We should actually do it. So they did. And the link led to a GOP website. And these were the fake news awards. Now, the number one, <laughs> the number one winner, <coughs> and I love this one because I bust this guy's balls all the time. The number, the winner, the number one. The win, the guy who took the top spot in the fake news awards was the was the New York Times' Paul Krugman, who famously claimed that markets would never recover from a Trump presidency and that he was pulling all his investments. <laughs> Fuck that one up, Paul. Uh, some other couple notable other ones was uh, ABC News' Brian Ross, who bungled the report on the former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Uh, CNN falsely reported the Trump campaign had early access to hacked documents from WikiLeaks. Uh, number four, Time reported that Trump had removed a bust of Martin Luther King Jr. from the Oval Office. Oh, my God. That's a hate crime. Uh, the Washington Post's Dave Weigel tweeted out that Trump's December rally in Pensacola, Florida was not packed with supporters. He actually tweeted out a picture of a near-empty stadium hours before it filled up. And there were some other ones. And, of course, CNN's video suggesting Trump overfed fish during a visit with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. So go look at the winners of the fake news alert. That was great. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, this was a good one, too. I had a good time with this. Uh, Maine. Maine had its first Somali police officer was arrested. <laughs> and there's some good detail in here. This is great. Okay, so this uh, woman, young lady, is her name is Zara Abu, and she was sworn in as Portland, Maine's first uh, Somali immigrant police officer on January 8th, 2016. Well, she made it a little over a year. So apparently what happened was she was arrested in Worcester, Massachusetts. I, don't know, I never know if I'm saying that, that town right. W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. And she allegedly unleashed a string of profanity at Worcester police and accused officers of racial profiling as she was arrested during a Ja Rule and Ashanti concert on Saturday night. 
She's only 24 years old. Isn't that nice? So, so she's already learned her lessons from the SJW cohorts well, hasn't she? Just scream racial profiling, and then everybody will back up and run away. Uh, she was escorted from the Palladium where the concert was being held after she allegedly grabbed the head of security by the front of his shirt. Uh, police say that she was acting unruly and that she refused to, she refused to leave when asked to by security. Uh, she was charged on assault and battery, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, and trespassing. <laughs> uh, in a police report, Officers wrote that the five foot two, 130 pound officer was acting aggressively to the concert hall staff. She was allegedly pushing through the crowd and physically assaulting several customers. Police said she was asked to leave two or three dozen times, and then finally she was arrested. Oh, this is nice too. Officer Christopher Grilly wrote that when she was told she was under arrest, she tensed her body and tried to pull away from us in an effort to evade arrest. She swore at police, questioned our training and time and service in our profession, and refused to cease her profanity-laced comments towards staff. <laughs> uh, outside, as officers waited for a vehicle to transport Officer Abu to the police station, she allegedly moved towards another patron and said, They're racially profiling. I see you there, girl. That's nice. You know what? I, and how much do you want to bet she's not even kicked off the police force? I'm going to go ahead. I'll, I'll go ahead and bet that right now. Uh, she'll, she'll have to like, they'll, they'll give her some bullshit. You really think they're going to kick off the first female Muslim Somali immigrant in, to Portland, Maine, which is already a huge social justice warrior town anyway? I bet she doesn't even get kicked off. I mean, she is arrested though, so you never know. That might be a little bridge too far even for them, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait to see what happens with there. Uh, we had a U.S. Marshal killed. This was very sad. Yes, this was in Baton Rouge. And this is Deputy U.S. Marshal Josie Wells. He was killed during a gunfire exchange with a fugitive in Baton Rouge, and he died of a gunshot wound to his neck. According to the East Baton Rouge Parish Coroner's Office, he was 27. Uh, Coroner William Bo Clark released a preliminary report of the autopsy Wednesday afternoon. The report labels the manner of death as homicide. Uh... U.S. Marshals were pursuing a guy named Jamie Kroom, uh, and he also died from gunshot wounds received at the Motel Gunfire Exchange. These shootings broke out around 11 a.m. on Tuesday, and Wells, who was from suburban Jackson, Mississippi, died shortly after, and uh, sadly, he and his wife were expecting a child. That's just fucking horrible. God. Uh, you never know what's going to go on when you open that door. So all my uh, law enforcement, please stay sharp out there. Okay. Uh, yoga news. You know, we keep an eye on the yoga beat here. Uh, they have found that practiced that Bikram yoga is no better for your health than other cooler forms of the ancient discipline. Now, Bikram yoga, that's the hot yoga. And they say that this is usually practice. So this is what people are doing yoga. It's basically the same shit, except you're in a room that's usually cranked up to like over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. <coughs> uh, proponents claim the hot, humid workout, which puts sweaty participants through a series of poses, et cetera, et cetera. 
burns more calories than yoga performed at room temperature and is better at flushing out toxins. However, where is this study? I'm trying to see who put this study out. Well, the study posted in the uh, journal Experimental Physiology found that yoga was beneficial regardless of whether it was done in a hot room or at ambient temperature. Um, Both forms reduced changes in the linings of blood vessels that can lead to heart disease and appeared to delay the progression of plaque buildup in arteries that can cause heart attacks or stroke. I'm a big proponent of yoga. Um, As part of my workout, I don't even touch a bar if I'm lifting, until I've done about 20 to 30 minutes worth of yoga. I just go in the, I just go in the, exor- you know, the uh, exercise room with the hardwood floors and everything, and I just, like, you know, do, the, do them all. You got to do the child's pose, the old downward dog, the old warrior two. I'm doing the warrior two like a fucking champion in there. But you got to do it. You got to do the yoga. It helps, and, and just you just feel way better, you know. Uh, watch out when you're eating sushi. Because a sushi lover pulled a five-foot tapeworm from his own body. Oh, this is so disgusting. This is in Fresno, out here in California. According to the man's doctor, the self-proclaimed sushi lover pulled a massive tapeworm from his own body before arriving for treatment. (laughs) Dude. Dr. Kenny Bond of Community Regional Medical Center told the horrifying story on a recent edition of the podcast, This Won't Hurt a Bit, where he showed the nauseating photos of a five foot six inch tapeworm his patient brought to the ER wrapped around a paper towel roll. Oh, gross. I'm looking at the picture. So apparently, this guy saw it and he thought like his organs were coming out. So he grabs it and he pulls on it and it keeps coming out. He picked it up, and what does it do? It starts moving, said Dr. Bond. Oh. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you can go check out pictures of this at um, News4KMOV. That's at KMOV as in Victor. Yeah, no shit. They got a fucking picture of the paper towel roll with this fucking worm wrapped around it. <coughs> oh, God. Yeah, this tapeworm reportedly began to leave the man's body while he was sitting at the toilet. So if you see something, like, I don't know if I'd do that. <clears throat> Maybe that's just, like, uh, you know, your, your instinct. Like, if you saw something dangling out of your anus while you're deucing on the toilet, do you start, like, pulling and yanking on it, or do you just leave it alone? I want to say that I would leave it alone, but maybe you'd start pulling on it, and if it, like, doesn't hurt, you just keep yanking on it. I don't know. What if you're, like, pulling out your fucking intestine? Ah, be careful. And you got to be careful with sushi. I've told you guys about how a lot of fish is bullshit. Science. <clears throat> That's true. A lot of sushi restaurants, the fish on the menu is not what they say it is. So, you got to be careful. Know your sushi place. Always ask, uh, you know, where, ask where the fish came from. Do that. Uh, the TV show Party of Five. If you grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s like I did, you'll know, you heard of the Party of Five. This is what makes me think, like, nobody in Hollywood has any fucking clue what they're doing. Shit like this. Because Party of Five is getting a modern-day reboot. Uh, now, it's not on a real network. It's on something called Freeform. That's a network. I never heard of it. 
Uh, Freeform says that the network has committed to put a pilot for a reboot of the 1990s family drama Party of Five with the show's original creators, Chris Kaiser and Amy Lippman. But in a twist, uh, <laughs> the reboot will follow five siblings whose parents, the Buendiases, were suddenly deported to Mexico. <laughs> Isn't that like a completely different show? Like, that, it's, that has nothing to do with the original show outside the name of it. I, I don't get it. And in a related story to show that's going downhill, don't tell me they're not sweating this shit in Hollywood either. Movie theater attendance hit a 24-year low, uh, they announced. This is the National Alliance of Theater Owners. Wall tickets rose 3.7%. I'm um, just reading through the... Oh, here it is. Now, this estimate of the box office, total box office, this is the lowest since 1993 when Jurassic Park was the top-grossing film of the year and an estimated 1.24 billion tickets were sold. While annual box office revenue stayed above $11 billion for the third consecutive year, revenue over the summer season plummeted to an 18-year low. Historic lows were also reached for Memorial Day and Labor Day weekends. Uh, yeah, you know what? I don't think they've quite come to grips with this new reality that we're in. Where That's one of those industries, like the, the glory days are over. Just like with pro sports and stuff. You know, you like I look at, you know, the old records. They have like, you know, the, the, the most watched TV shows and all that shit. I don't think those are ever going to be beaten. The ones we have now, like I think, the, what's the highest one? Like the last episode of MASH or something is the highest? Well, that was back when we only had a couple stations. So like that got huge ratings. Same with sports events like the Super Bowl, right? But now, a lot of people aren't watching that shit anymore. Now, the kids are all on YouTube. They're not watching CBS. So, I don't, I don't know if they've come to grips with that. And certainly their stupid fucking ideas don't help, that's for sure. Party of five. <laughs> uh, weird oh yeah that fucking guy in Hawaii yeah they set off the uh, they set off the nuclear alarm <laughs> that was this was insane and they're saying Hawaii's false alarm missile threat caused an almost unbearable amount of tension that was certainly true. Remember, the text residents in Hawaii received a text message alert at 8.07 a.m. on Saturday, January 13th, stating that a ballistic missile was headed towards the island. And not until 8.45 were residents alerted that it was a false alarm. So you saw all this people. I mean, I would be freaked out, too. Did you see some of the video? It was like... Some of it was smart. Like the guy, there was some guy who was putting his kids, he, was, he took a manhole cover off and he was like lowering his kids into the fucking sewage system. I mean, not a bad fucking idea. But why did it take 38 minutes? It was, it, it was nuts. And then they tried to tell me that, oh, it's because some guy hit the wrong button. And I'm like, when, when they were shift changing, that was the story, which I didn't believe for a fucking minute. I tweeted that out too. I was like, that's fucking ludicrous. Oh, so there's like two buttons on this board, right? One is clock out and the other one is ballistic missile threat inbound button. Yeah, okay. That's not what happened. There's a, there's a story there somewhere. 
And then it was it's like a state worker, so the guy didn't even get fired, of course, because you can't really get fired as a state worker. You know, you have to like murder somebody. But the funniest revelation of this is the porn website Pornhub revealed that it saw a huge spike in traffic in the minutes after it was revealed that that incoming ballistic missile warning had been a false alarm. With views of Pornhub in Hawaii coming in at nearly 50% more than usual. <laughs> so, so a bunch of people are sitting around and it says, hey, ballistic missiles headed your way. And a shitload of people are like, well, might as well crank out one more. Is, I guess, the thinking that went. That's funny. Unsurprisingly, this leap in numbers followed a dramatic decline. <laughs> Jesus. Ay, ay, ay. Um, at one point, traffic on Pornhub reached 77% lower than usual during the 20 minutes after the warning went out. But far from returning to normal, Pornhub statisticians were fascinated to learn Pornhub as statisticians that the site's numbers then soared in quite the opposite direction, shooting up above average and ranging at a peak 48% increase in its average Saturday morning numbers. Mm. Now, this is uh, Pornhub's Hawaii trend analysis. Comes just after a few months after they revealed that people are, on the whole, watching far less porn than they did 10 years ago. Hmm. Nobody's watching porn anymore. That's it. It's done. It's a done deal. The, the glory days of the porn are also over. So many fucking industries have been disrupted by the internet. It's interesting. What else do we have? Oh, yeah. I got, you know, you got to love the Daily Mail. Oh, wait a minute. Where'd my story go here? Uh, blue, blue, blue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to cooperate with me really. So I had the, I had this daily mail story open, but then it just disappeared on me. So I'll just uh, keep, keep going on something different. Uh, in Phoenix, there was a double murder suspect, right? And now they think this guy has killed seven other people over three weeks. Like a serial killer. This comes a month after police arrested a 35-year-old man on suspicion of killing his mother and stepfather. This is Cleophus Cooksey Jr. He is accused of slaying at least nine Valley residents during a three-week period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. A felon turned aspiring rapper <laughs> who nicknamed himself Playboy Cooksey was arrested at the spot of the December 17th double shooting minutes after police received the shots fired call. Two days later, the Phoenix police discovered through the use of new technology that he was responsible for several homicides in the preceding three weeks. But it wasn't until a month later that authorities publicly announced that they had linked Cooksey to seven other unsolved homicides, possibly more, in Metro Phoenix. Wow, so they solved nine homicides in a period of three weeks. Uh, all were committed, so all the killings were committed in late 2017, but there seemed to be no pattern. The victims were in a variety of demographic groups, and the locations were you know, scattered around the Phoenix area. There was no pattern or method. And the only clear connection among the victims, say, that police said, is Cooksey. He's a man who spent his 20s in prison on a manslaughter conviction. 
Uh, in addition to the murders of his mother and stepfather, Cooksey is accused of abducting a woman in Glendale, sexually assaulting and then killing her, dumping her body in South Phoenix. Oh, man. Nice guy. Jeez. And they want to let everybody out. Maybe that's what they're going to do in Arizona, too, after they become a blue state, which they will. You know, we covered this story. That I can't remember when we did, but I know for a fact that I covered this on the podcast. Do you guys remember that furry party? You know, the furries, the guys who dress up, and they had a sex party? Remember that shit? Remember I talked about it? Well, apparently they already had the trial, and jurors acquitted the furry child rape suspect of all charges. This is nuts. How... I'm just baffled. So you're bringing, you don't bring charges on something like this. I, I would assume that you'd be pretty sure what happened, but he's been found not guilty. And this is Kenneth Fenske. He's been acquitted of charges. He raped an eight-year-old boy during furry meets at his Milford home. Uh, this is in Pennsylvania, by the way. Uh, jurors in Bucks County returned their verdict after about two hours of deliberation. So, so that's incredible. Fit, finding the 57-year-old not guilty on all charges. So two hours is like almost immediately. Uh, this comes just shy of a year after prosecutors with the State Office of Attorney General charged Fenske with sexually abusing the boy. Police alleged these assaults occurred during a series of well-attended summer 2009 parties at Fenske's Old Bethlehem Pike home, catering to the furry subculture. In case you didn't know what the furry subculture is, it's basically dudes who dress up as animals, like with, you know, like onesies, and they wear heads, and then they all bang each other. Yeah, it's a fucking thing, I know. Apparently, Fenske liked to dress as a fox, and assumed the name Lupine, and allegedly raped the boy in an upstairs bedroom. The boy, who's now 16, uh, described the assault as painful ordeals that he attended to keep secret. Fairly argued in closings Friday that the alleged victim's testimony should be dismissed, pointing to inconsistencies and an unnatural smile and a demeanor that lacked a ring of truth. The attorney further seized on the boy's insistence that Fenske had worn a fur suit during at least one of the incidents. <laughs> I'm not laughing, but seriously, this, you can't make this shit up. And evidence showed that Fenske had not been in possession of the suit until 2015. Hmm. Uh, anything else in this story? Well, I mean, something happened there, right? Because there's another guy... A bunch of guys went on trial for this. And there was another dude named David Parker. He pled guilty previously in federal court to trafficking this same boy for sex. And he faces 30 years to life in federal prison. So is this like some kind of like consensual thing? I mean, you can't consent with a minor, which is, I'm just, again, which is why it baffles me that they're just letting him go. But, uh... I guess I guess they're saying like he, he it was all consensual. I don't I don't get it. Uh, we'll see what happens. Oh yeah, how could I fucking forget my favorite fucking guy, Chelsea Manning, on Sunday confirmed via Twitter that she is a candidate for U.S. Senate. Yeah, I'm just reading this. 
Manning doesn't get pronouns, okay? I will consider pronouns on a case-by-case basis. I'm not giving him fucking pronouns. This fucking clown. Three days after making... I'm just going to read the story, though. That way I don't. Ha- I, it'll force me to use the pronouns. Three days after making her intention known to federal election officials, Manning tweeted, Yup, we're running for Senate, with an attached campaign video indicating her intention to run in the 2018 Maryland Democratic primary. So apparently this is legit. I'm fucking curious to see how fucking far left the Democrats are going to go. This might be too much even for them. Uh, Who's the... um, Her recent move... uh, She had planned to move to Maryland. This is another thing that kills me. The Oklahoma native has had planned to move to Maryland where she has an aunt when Manning was released from prison. That was the plan. Uh, she has been registered to vote at the apartment in North Bethesda since mid-August. But as far as I knew, Manning has been living in Manhattan. And it'd be real fucking nice if one goddamn reporter, one reporter, would ask how Manning is paying for what some people have told me is a very nice part of Manhattan. Not to mention 24-hour security. Who's paying for all this? And the fucking fact that this clown... Keep in mind, Manning was a fucking boot, okay? Chelsea Manning was a fucking Intel boot who's on her first tour, and now Manning is going around all these left-wing colleges being extolled as some awesome crypto expert, you know? Like, fucking, you're the Intel guru now. Let's fucking call it what it is. You don't know shit. Have you ever heard that fucking guy talk? Oh, my God. Voice would fucking give you nightmares. I was actually looking for a video earlier, but the only video I could find was the dumb campaign commercial. I'm not going to play that. Go find it yourself. It's fucking awful. Uh, Of course, the existing Maryland senator is uh, two-term Senator Ben Cardin is who Manning would be challenging the primary. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even think the left-wingers are that fucking nuts, but uh, who knows? What else do we have? Oh, this one. Shit. Trump administration appointee Carl Higby resigned Thursday as chief of external affairs for the federal government's volunteer service organization after a CNN review of racist, sexist, anti-Muslim, and anti-LGBT comments he made on the radio. So, the White House did not immediately respond to a request for comment on Higby's resignation. In a tweet on Friday morning, Higby apologized for his comments. He said, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that my words are published. I am sorry that I said them in 2013. Higby is a former U.S. Navy SEAL and conservative media personality, was a surrogate for the Trump during this 19, uh, sorry, 19, 2016 presidential campaign. He was on cable news all the time. Uh, what did, how, why did he get in trouble? In one of the comments unearthed by K-File, Higby said you could guess the color of a family he described that lived in his condo association. He said, quote, I told this story the other day on my show. Somebody who lives in my condo association that has five kids, it's her and her husband with the five kids and the mother, the grandmother, the kids, and they don't have jobs. They're there all the time. I bet you can guess what color they are. <laughs> and they have no job. Well, that's not fucking good. Ugh, old Higby. Oh, I, do I have some, uh... 
Here's some audio. Listen to this. And a half hours of that eight-hour day, you are working for the government. You are an unauthorized employee of the government. My question is, where's all this money going? Well, it's going to... Where's it all going? You know how much money to... we're talking about? Yeah. This is some podcast. Oh, trillions of dollars. Trillions. You know it's, going to? it's going into the hands and into the households of these asshats who don't want to work, who know how to play the system. I told this story the other day on my, on my show. There, I have somebody who lives in my condo association that has five kids. And her and her, it's her and her husband with the five kids and the, the, the mother or the grandmother of the, the uh-huh. kids. And they can't, they don't have jobs. They're there all the time. I guess you, I bet you can guess what color they are. And they have no jobs. So I asked them one day, I said, what do you guys do? She says, oh, well, this is what we do, lays it out. And she didn't see any problem with it. She wasn't ashamed of it. She just saw this as how reality is. She has the kid. The grandmother calls social services, says, hey, hey my you know, son-in-law and daughter. I don't even know if they're married. The, the son-in-law and daughter are don't don't have the means to support his children i would like to adopt it okay and it keeps going on from there i don't know what's going on with that audio on the soundcloud what podcast it was just fucking horrible uh but that that it was pretty mild but there was other stuff that was pretty bad he was talking about how uh he said at one point um quote the black race has lax morals (laughs) carl 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 Anyway, you can go on CNN and listen to Carl Higby. So he's out now. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, back to Portland. And this is actually Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> this is good. Headline. Portland food cart owner arrested, accused of showing erect penis to female delivery driver. Hmm. Yeah. This is James Carter, the 42-year-old proprietor of Mr. Benny's Smokehouse Brunch. That's the name of his food truck? What a goofy-ass food truck name. He was arrested on charges of public indecency and indecent exposure. A female delivery driver working for Uber reported to police that she was picking up an order at his food cart, and according to the affidavit for his arrest, she said his erect penis was sticking out of his pants plain as day as she walked up to the window. The order wasn't ready, so she turns around and goes back to her car. When she came back, Mr. Carter's penis was still fully erect and sticking straight out of his pants. She saw him reach up onto a shelf three times. Mr. Carter never made an attempt to conceal or move his fully erect penis out of view. She said the air was cold and there was no way he could not know his penis was fully exposed. (laughs) She said... She said the incident was so upsetting that she threw up. <laughs> when the police showed up, Carter denied exposing his penis to anyone that day. He said the Uber driver was mistaken. Not lying, but mistaken. He said she was surprised she called the police given that she worked for Uber. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, if you work for Uber, you're not allowed to call the cops? <laughs> uh, okay, that makes no sense. Oh, good for you. And speaking of penises, you know we stay on top of the penis beat. <clears throat> Pun intended. Uh, gentlemen are set to get natural penis enhance- enlargements with injections to add three inches to a fella's manhood for 5,000 pounds. This is a British tabloid. 
Uh, using stem cells extracted from their own stomach, men could be able to enlarge their penis with the same technique used in women's boob jobs. This controversial technique has already been used in the breast augmentation and uh, bottom augmentation, the ass augmentation. So now one company is saying we could use the same technique to add up to three inches to your penis. And <laughs> it involves extracting flab from a man's stomach, enriching it in a lab before re-injecting it back into the penis. The more fat you inject, the bigger the result. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the procedure does not use silicone or artificial fillers, and because the cells come from the patient's own body, there is less chance of complication. So all you guys, you know, if you're feeling a little, um, you know, coming up short, there's hope. You got to love it. The, the day, we're living in a crazy technology these days. This is great. Oh, yeah, here we go. You know one of my favorite topics? Quick, the top three? Here's one of them. The old fake hate crime. Yeah, we, gotta, we had a couple. We had a couple of them. Now, this is at the University of Maryland. Now, recall, this isn't the first time it's happened there. Remember, and we covered this. Uh, last fall, racially charged graffiti, including a swastika, was found in a men's bathroom at the University of Maryland, and that was reported as a hate crime, and that was solved. Uh, the perpetrator was Terrell DeMonte Alexander, an 18-year-old former university employee. Uh, he is an African-American gentleman. And uh, last October, the police arrested Ronald Alford. He's a 52-year-old black former employee. And he was arrested for spray-painting a swastika on campus. <laughs> so there's, there's two. Actually, that, so that happened last October, but I guess the... Um, yeah, that's just, it's going through the courtroom. That's why it's in the news. But the other, the big one... That was all over the news was my Canadian listeners. You know where I'm going to this in Toronto. Shout out to my man uh, in Toronto, by the way, who sent me the gang task force shirt. It was awesome. My, my Twitter buddy, uh, Toronto cop. Yes. My tentacles reach into law enforcement departments worldwide. That's right. Uh, anyway, this was the Toronto and the 11 year old, an 11 year old girl alleged that a man cut her hijab. And it went so far, of course, social justice warrior-in-chief Justin Trudeau tweeted out immediately. He was deeply concerned and how this was super intolerant. Well, it turned out it was all bullshit. The police said the investigation is now concluded. But everybody's wondering why the Toronto District School Board let the tearful 11-year-old girl with her mother grandmother, 10-year-old brother, and a manager for media relations face television cameras and throngs of reporters who broadcast and tweeted her extraordinary story to national and international attention. Yeah, did you guys notice that? <coughs> Let me tell you something. Be fucking suspicious. Did, they had like that press conference set up within like fucking 30 minutes of the whole thing happening. I fucking knew it was bullshit. And they all showed up, all fucking veiled up in their hijabs. And all the fucking guilty white liberal reporters in Canada 
rush to condemn. I was laughing. I was like, this is so fake. The Star, the uh, newspaper I'm reading this from, the Toronto Star, they have chosen not to name the girl, which I disagree with. The whole fan, you're telling me, so now, the, the, the story is, is that the kid made it up and the parents had no idea. Raise your fucking hand if you believe that. Where would a girl get the idea to claim that a guy attacked her and cut her hijab? An 11-year-old. Where, how, would that, how would those thoughts get into your head? They would only get in your head if you were being fucking coached. Remember fucking Clock Boy? Does nobody remember anything anymore? <sighs> Boy, the fucking libtard journalists love this shit, don't they? They, they? they want it all to be true so bad, and it's hardly ever true. It must devastate them. Uh, yeah, and all the now the school isn't talking. You know, they don't want to... Uh, now, now they, they rush to hold a press conference like within fucking 10 seconds of this thing happening, and now they don't want to talk about it. Get out of here, man. And they all completely bought it. They all... Nobody fucking in the media said, hey, you know what, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should look into this a little bit more. Ridiculous. Uh, the Asian community is not happy because this little girl said the guy who attacked her was Asian. So they weren't too happy. And Toronto police were tweeting out furiously as this happened, as they were looking for somebody. It blows my mind. As much as I cover these, it blows my fucking mind that people still fall for it. And here's another one. This, is ha this has not been proved fake, by the way. I just saw this headline while I'm looking for. Here's what it says. <clears throat> you tell me if you think this is fake. Police say a note with a racial slur was left with smeared dog feces on the wall of an apartment building near Western Kentucky University's campus. Resident Paige Glass told the Daily News she reported a note left Wednesday to the Bowling Green Police Department. Feces were smeared on a window and in the apartment's breezeway next to the note that read, Eat it up, N-word, and make America great again. That's the... <laughs> this is bullshit. I'm calling it... No, I'm calling it right now. I might have waited to see until they added... It said, make America great again. That's... This is... Okay, we're, we're, this is bullshit, right? I'm just guessing. And of course, the local N NACP chapter and Bowling Green's mayor condemned the act. And Warren County attorney Amy Milliken told the Daily News that the perpetrator could be charged with criminal mischief and even possibly a hate crime. She says she was saddened it happened two days after the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Okay. Like I said, is it possible? It's I mean, the law of averages would dictate that some of these are real, and some of them are. But at least the ones I've been covering, they're almost always fake. And, and somebody writing Make America Great in do uh, with dog shit, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's not real. It's not real. Uh, how much time? We okay, we're doing good. Let's keep going. Um... Oh, wait, I just want to go through this. Okay. Uh, yeah, so in other words, you know, we've, we've covered the men behaving badly, and there seems to be like, seems like we're maybe on the downslope of the hysteria because if you guys saw comedian Aziz Ansari from that TV show Communities, very successful stand-up comedian, well, he was fucking called out by some chick 
And I was going to do the story when it first, but then I read the whole story. And it was basically the chick was saying she was sexually assaulted. Even though she stayed there, she hung out with the dude. She did, you know, he kept trying to do it. You know, that's what guys do. Hey, you know, like, let's do it. She wouldn't do it, but then she blew him, right? She did blow him and didn't say anything at the time. Then she left, and then she was telling a writer that she was sexually assaulted. And Aziz Ansari is this big, like, you know, uh, feminist and all that. Well, it got a little controversial because headline news anchor Ashley Banfield, you remember her, she called out a babe.net writer. (laughs) That's the website who ran the original article about Aziz Ansari being a sexual predator. Well, Ashley Banfield has been kind of saying like, hey, whoa, you know, we can't just lob these charges out, especially when you're saying like it was all consensual, which she did. You know, you can't just call people sexual assaulters just because you have like regrets the next day. Well, the person who wrote that article did not care for that. So during her show on Tuesday, Banfield read an email that she said she had received from Katie Way who was the reporter from Babe.net who wrote the story. Now, here's how the email read in full. (laughs) I like what Banfield did here. I like how she read this out loud. Uh, She wrote, Way wrote the following. The way your colleague Ashley, question mark, someone I'm certain no one under the age of 45 has ever heard of, by the way, ripped into my source directly was one of the lowest, most despicable things I've ever seen in my life. Shame on her. Shame on HLN. Ashley could have talked to me. She could have talked to my editor or my publication, but instead she targeted a 23-year-old woman in one of the most vulnerable moments of her life, someone she's never fucking met before for a little attention. I hope the ratings were worth it. I hope the 500 retweets on the single news write-up that made that burgundy lipstick bad highlights second wave feminist has been feel really relevant for a little while. Wow. Relevant, I'm sorry. She disgusts me. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. She goes on like this. Then she says, I would never go on your network. I would never even watch your network. No woman my age would ever watch your network. I will remember this for the rest of my career. I'm 22, and so far, not too shabby. And I will laugh the day you fold. Wow. That was a fucking bad decision, Katie. Because, yeah, Ashley read it on air, and now you're famous. And now you're forever Googleable. I am, you know, I'm slightly encouraged to see, like, like the older women. You know, women are, like, my age and in their 40s and 50s and stuff like that. I'm glad to see that some of them are pushing back on these fucking left-wing kook feminist journalists who are, like, you know, 22 and think they know fucking everything. You know, the type who write for, like, Teen Vogue and shit. And they're all woke. You know, they're so, they, they try to outdo each other with who's the wokest. You know, it's kind of like the, vet, the politically correct veterans on social media. Whoever's the most woke you know, gets all the left-wing followers. Fucking cracks me up. Speaking of veterans, <laughs> I'm trying to master the art of the segue here. How about this headline? Lawsuit claims surgeon at West Haven Veterans Affairs Hospital left a scalpel inpatient. <laughs> oh, shit. And I'm looking. Wow. They have a great x-ray. All right, you know your big old hip bone, your pelvis? Yeah, there's x-rays of the pelvis, and right smack in the middle where the big hole is, you see this fucking scalpel. 
This is an Army veteran from Bridgeport, and he says an MRI revealed that a surgeon left a scalpel in his abdomen four years earlier. Uh, Glenford Turner, 61 years old. He went to the West Haven VA Hospital with abdominal pain last March when the surprising discovery was made. Obviously, he required surgery to remove the scalpel and last week filed suit against the, the VA. This scalpel was used during Turner's radial prostatectomy performed four years earlier at the West Haven VA. So they took the dude's prostate out. Gnarly. Uh, in the lawsuit, Turner said he underwent a robotic-assisted laparoscopic prostatectomy at the West Haven VA in August 2013. He returned to the VA on March of 2017 for an MRI after complaining of dizziness and long-term abdominal pain. The imaging study was abruptly halted when Mr. Turner began to experience severe worsened abdominal pain and subsequent x-rays revealed the scalpel. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad, you know, the thing is, though, is it's like nobody to root for in these stories. And all the, even when the lawsuit is like totally on point, at the end of the day, that's our tax money. You know what I mean? It's just shitty that that's what it, it obviously the guy deserves to be compensated. I mean, it must have been suffering tremendously, but <laughs> it's our tax money. I don't know. It's, uh, it's fucking sad. Well, so I'm just going, oh, New California. Thank you for everybody who, <laughs> thank you for everybody who messaged me asking me if I was excited about New California. You know, this is something that's been kind of bouncing around for many years out here. You know, you, you, it kind of pops up every year or so where guys, you know, they have, they have, they always have these propositions to uh, break up California. Well, a group read their own version of a declaration of independence and declared themselves founders of the state of New California. Now, they don't want to leave the U.S. This is important. So they're not trying to be their own country. So they want to be the 51st state. And the founder of this is a guy named Robert Paul Preston. And, you know, there's rumors. Who knows what, you know, this, like all the the progressives are saying this is like, you know, some kind of uh, Russia-backed coup or something. But I don't know. Why wouldn't you want this? If If you're like a coastal progressive, you know, half the state doesn't like you. And it's skewed here because, you know, the pop, the, the, the large part, most of, most of California is concentrated in these large coastal cities. But San Diego would be in New California. Old California would be like, you know, L.A. and then pretty much up the coast to the Bay Area. That would be New California. So <laughs> I don't take it seriously, but uh, who knows? I wouldn't mind. It would be a whole, it would be just such a, imagine trying to, Imagine trying to fucking do the paperwork on that. Where would you even start? I don't even know. Uh, Also in San Diego, we had a dozen people arrested for feeding the homeless out here. Yeah, they're cracking down on that because of the Hep A outbreak. And this is, you know, this has turned also into a social justice cause. El Cajon police officers arrested about a dozen people for feeding the homeless at a city park. This event was organized by a group called Break the Ban, which formed after the El Cajon City Council unanimously passed an emergency ordinance October prohibiting the distribution of food on any city-owned property. This was, of course, a way to protect the public from the hepatitis A outbreak, which we've covered here in quite some detail. 
But critics have called it a punitive measure to dehumanize and criminalize the homeless. Well, yes, yes, that's right. Yes, we're going to criminalize the homeless. You don't have the right to lay around in your filth in fucking public places. You fucking don't. And again, I'll just point out one more time. I see this every day. I see it on the seawall every day. I see it at the park benches every day. Why do families who are wanting to go to the park with their kids, why do they have to fucking step around the fucking five guys laying around in their vomit and urine? Why do they have to do that? I was just riding my bike on the boardwalk in Mission Beach the other day, and I stopped to look at the ocean, and all of a sudden I just get this fucking waft of, you know, the dried piss smell? How this, like, it's like the worst smell in the world, right? And I just look over, and on one of the benches facing out in the ocean, a beautiful place to sit for tourists, and it's like two o'clock in the afternoon, right? Some old guy is fucking racked out unconscious on it, just dried feces and piss all over himself. And he's just sitting there laying, sun's blazing down on him, and he's passed out cold. And just the fucking stench of urine was just making me want to fucking barf. And that's every day. And we're just supposed to, like, put up with it. It's unbelievable. <sighs> what else? Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, you've definitely heard me rant about the fucking service animals, right? Well, Delta Airlines is cracking down a little bit. They said on Friday it will more thoroughly vet passengers' efforts to fly with all manner of unusual animals, which often board U.S. airlines under the guise of psychological or medical support. About friggin' time. The airline said on Friday, Customers have attempted to fly with comfort turkeys, gliding possums, snakes, spiders, and more. <laughs> a, com a comfort possum. Or a comfort spider? Get the... F wow. Uh, Delta customers, as of March 1st, traveling with a service or support animal must show proof of the animal's health or vaccinations 48 hours before a flight. Good. Besides the current letter signed by a doctor or licensed mental health worker, which can be easily obtained on the internet, obviously... Those with psychiatric service or emotional support animals must sign a form to attest that the animal can behave. Delta flies about 700 service animals per day. A 150% increase since 2015. The Atlanta-based company said reported animal incidents have increased 84% since 2016, including onboard problems with urine, feces, and aggressive behavior. Yeah, I think we covered this. In June, an Alabama man was taken to an Atlanta hospital with facial wounds after a dog lunged at him on a California-bound Delta 737. Um, for several years, flight attendants have been calling attention to the probable abuse of rules allowing service dogs and emotional support animals in aircraft cabins. In many cases, the animals are not confined and may amble about the cabin creating safety concerns. Yeah, this is all fucking horseshit. This is all fucking horseshit, dude. You know what? If you need your fucking service spider to go on a plane, fuck off. You, you can drive. How about that? And you don't get one unless you've, you're blind or you've been blown up in the war. That's all. And it's only a dog. That's it. No more service fucking possums or cats or snakes. None of that shit. It's a dog. Blind, blown up in war, dog. That's it. You're done. It's not that fucking complicated. 
Just tell people no. Let the let them file a fucking lawsuit. <sighs> Shit gets me worked up, man. I can't stand the fucking dogs anymore. With all the people, they have to have their dog. You know what? Don't get a fucking dog if you can't fucking do it. Uh, oh, we had some rapper beef. Where is my... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had some hip-hop beef. How about this? this is... And this is old-school hip-hop beef. Yeah. We mentioned Jaw Rule earlier. Well, this is our second Jaw Rule-related story. In a continuation of one of New York's uh, 20-year-long beefs, Jaw Rule got on Twitter to go off on 50 Cent. And everybody liked it. Yeah, I'm looking at Jaw Rule's tweet. Uh, 6.09 this morning, January 19th, he said, Fun hip-hop fact, 50 Cent is a pussy. <laughs> Uh, the rift between the two originally began sometime around 1999 when someone in 50 Cent's crew allegedly robbed Ja Rule, and the rest has been a mess of legendary diss tracks and parking lots fights. <laughs> now, uh, it's been 15 years since like Ja Rule had like a relevant single, which is probably why he's playing in some fucking bar in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, I think 50 is doing okay because he had the fucking vitamin water, right? He made a killing off that. But somebody made like a little compilation of Ja Rule and 50 Cent talking shit about each other. Let's hear how this sounds. This should be funny. This is 50 Cent. I see the nigga. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm chilling with... He see me kicking it with the nigga that robbed him. And he feel like, oh shit, I shouldn't speak to this dude because I know the kid robbed him. But I know this kid, I grew up with him. Next, words are exchanged in blows thrown as the two square off in Atlanta. And from there, things turned ugly. So yo, 50, what's the definition of a wankster, man? I mean, what is that? Ja Rule, Irv Gotti. I'll tell you personally, the murder ain't the people that you see, like Irv, Ja, the people that are involved in the business aspect are bitches. Like these niggas don't got no hood in them. He's nobody, he's this person. Right, this person we're talking about, he's no one. That's, That's Ja Rule. <laughs> I like the music. Some niggas ain't hustlers. Exactly. See what I'm saying? So when you got a nigga that's not a hustler, he becomes a buddy hustler. And what he does is he tries to eat off of other niggas' plates. Okay. See ah, what I'm saying? By, I you see. know, mentioning names and saying things. Come here, give me a kiss, you little faggot. And then wanting them to chant back so that's why you know when you say the name i say who i think he's a sweetheart for real i don't know him oh he's a fruit pot for real you know he sells like no record he's even came out yet i can't even see how a kid can look at ja Rule and want to be like ja Rule. i don't know him this nigga want to be tupac secure there's a lot of people out there that don't have things this nigga doing duets oh this you gotta love you gotta love hip-hop beefs now it's all over twitter like it's not fucking dignified you guys Honestly, you guys sound like fucking little 13-year-old girls sniping on Twitter. These dudes are like, aren't they like 50 now? I mean, fight or get the fuck out. You know what I mean? Like a real fight. And a more serious story that, uh, you know, that, that Larry Nasser, the former Olympian physician, that trial is still going on. And basically, like 100 different accusers, including all these famous gymnasts, are, were like they confronted Nasser in the courtroom, and at one point he asked the judge, "He's like, uh, I can't do this anymore." And the judge was like, "Tough shit." And for four full days this week, women and girls 
leaned into a microphone to address him. And one of the big ones was the famous American gymnast, Ali Raisman. And if you don't know this story, this is a, we've covered this before. This is the uh, team doctor who basically did horrendous, horrible things to these young girls, you know, touching them and shit. And they all covered it up. Like we've covered so many cases where adults knew and nobody did anything about it. Uh, for example, Allie Raceman, who's 23 now, who won gold medals at the past two Summer Olympics, uh, she told of late-night knocks on her hotel door while she was competing overseas as the man, Dr. Lawrence Nasser, then the team doctor, arrived to abuse her. Oh, dude. That's just so fucking gnarly. But I am glad. Maybe they got some closure from being able to talk to this fucking creepo. Let's listen to Olympian Ali Raceman confront Dr. Larry Nasser at his trial. From the time we were little, we are, ta- we are taught to trust doctors. You are so sick, I can't even comprehend how angry I feel when I think of you. You lied to me and manipulated me to think that when you treated me, you were closing your eyes because you had been working hard when you were really touching me, an innocent child, to pleasure yourself. Oh. Imagine feeling like you have no power and no voice. Well, you know what, Larry? I have both power and voice, and I am only beginning to just use them. All these brave women have power, and we will use our voices to make sure you get what you deserve. A life of suffering spent replaying the words delivered by this powerful army of survivors. I am also here to tell you to your face, Larry, that you have not taken gymnastics away from me. I love this sport, and that love is stronger than the evil that resides in you and those who enabled you to hurt many people. Good. Shout out. You already know you're going away to a place where you won't be able to hurt anybody ever again. But I am here to tell you that I will not rest until every last trace of your influence on this sport has been destroyed like the cancer it is. Oof. Good for her. And you know what? I'm really glad that she uh, she glossed over it a little bit, but I'm really glad she made a point to call out all the people who knew, who knew this shit was going on. Because if you saw the trial, if you covered it, and we've talked about it in the past a few times, this uh, this was widely known. And the girls would complain, and the parents did nothing about it. It's fucking disgraceful. He has been sentenced to 60 years in federal prison on a child porn conviction. And the judge in this state court hearing has said that Dr. Nasser, who's now 54 years old, uh, can't expect to spend the rest of his life in prison. But the judge allowed victim impact statements from 140 girls and women whom prosecutors accused Dr. Nasser of abusing. God damn. It's just shocking to me. It's like fucking Sandusky territory, right? I can't, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around the fact that the, the, the hundreds of women are being t- babies, really, at the time. They're young girls. And the doctor's sticking his fucking fingers inside him and shit and getting off to it. It's fucking, it makes me sick even talking about it. It's disgusting. Oh, how much time do we have? Uh, well, we should probably start wrapping <laughs> probably start wrapping it up, even though I have a lot of good stuff. I'll have to save it for my special celebrity guest next week at the SHOT Show. Uh, quickly, oh, this was good. Do you guys remember during the Charlottesville... You remember the Charlottesville uh, the throwdown with the Nazis, the neo-Nazis, and the chick got killed, right? You remember that one kid got hit on the head, and then he started to go fund me, and all the, uh, all the guilty white liberals gave him like $150,000 or something like that? And he was painted as kind of a hero? Well, 
There was actually evidence that he was giving just as good as he took. His name's DeAndre Harris. And he's been arrested <laughs> for... Uh, he was stopped, pulled over for speeding. The cops smelled marijuana and subsequently searched the vehicle DeAndre Harris was driving. In addition to a small quantity of marijuana, the officer found a loaded AR-15 rifle under a coat on the back seat. Dah, dah. He's facing, really? Only a misdemeanor concealed weapons charge? Hmm. I guess, well, okay, so that must be a legal weapon. Hmm, that's funny. But you know what? At least he'll have his $140,000 he got on the GoFundMe to make himself feel better. Or to pay for a lawyer, right? Uh, one of the biggest diamonds in history is, is, ever has just been dug up. Did you guys see this one? Gem Diamonds found a 910-carat stone at its Lesotho mine in southern Africa. Uh, it's about the size of two golf balls. It's a D-color type 2A diamond, which means it has very few or no nitrogen atoms and is one of the most expensive stones. The diamond is the fifth biggest ever found. Just to give you a comparison, uh, the same company, Gem Diamonds, they sold a 357-carat stone for $19.3 million in 2015. Whew! So, again, this one's 910. They're going to lose a little bit as they... As they sell, or they, I don't know if they're going to sell it whole or if they're going to shape it first, but that's a, that's a fucking lot of money. Diamonds are still worth some shit, I guess, even though we can make them in a lab. Uh, a, <laughs> a man was fined $500 for performing sex acts with his dog. Uh, he launched an appeal because he claimed he didn't believe it was illegal. This is in... This is in Australia for all of my new Australian listeners. This is your guy. He looks like a normal dude. He's got a gym picture in here. Yes, named Darren Lee Jolly. He had a conviction recorded against him in July 2017 after police found several pictures and videos of the man engaging in non-penetrative activities with his dog. What does that mean? Now, he was originally charged with bestiality, but was convicted of inappropriately handling an animal. I am so fucking amazed by the lack of will to prosecute guys who molest animals. And apparently, I thought it was just America. Apparently, this is a worldwide phenomenon. They were found, these three images and two videos were found by police during a mobile phone search showing lewd sexual acts with the pup. Oh, God, don't <laughs> I'm reading ahead. All right, strap in for this one. You ready? A court previously heard that Jolly would handle the pup in a certain way by arousing it and allowed the puppy to nuzzle his anal area. Oh, no. no. He also let the puppy clean his genitals after masturbation. No, no. Oh, God. <laughs> He's been banned from owning a dog, but for only two years. That's it. <laughs> wow. I, 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 I'm, sometimes I'm stunned into... I'm speechless. Wow. Uh, thank, hey, Australia, good job on that. Don't think you're above fucking us in America, okay? And just for the big finish, in case you're wondering, that's not even. <laughs> that's not even the tops... The, 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 our... our 
ultimate story. Here's the headline for our final story of the evening. Animal sex beast raped his mother's two goats to death in a sickening two-hour attack. Yeah. This was in Kenya. A man named Mabithi Munyao, 35 years old, is said to have dragged two goats from a grazing area for a two-hour sex session. The terrified, bleeding animals, bleating, B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G, I'm sure they were bleeding as well, died of exhaustion as soon as he finished the vile attack. The animals' bodies were presented as evidence before a shocked courtroom in Kangundo in Kenya's Machokos County. Munyao, who's 20 years old, faces two bestiality charges. And apparently his mom turned him in. His mom reported him to authorities. Good for her. Uh, the goats died after the sexual encounter that lasted close for two hours. And the local news site said, hey, you know what? There's many single women looking for men, and it's not logical for you to engage in bestiality. Well, that's a very dry way of laying it out. Uh, there have been several cases of men in Africa engaging in illegal bestiality recently. I'm pretty sure we've covered them. <laughs> One of them was a guy who was allegedly caught having sex with a donkey near a church. <laughs> and his defense was he claimed, that guy claimed he was too, uh, too shy to chat up women. And of course, earlier this month in Nigeria, a man named Rambo was kicked out of his village after neighbors said they caught him raping a pregnant goat in his bedroom. <laughs> Africa, you guys got to tighten it up, man. You can't, have, you can't be having goat rape and shit out there. It's awful. That's it for me. I can't fucking do it anymore. That's done. We're done for the week. Can't go on. A uh, couple of quick announcements. First of all, uh, the show, the podcast is now on Google Play. I tweeted that out, but I know some of you aren't on Twitter. So if you have a Google phone or something like that and it's easier, you can go on Google Play, look for News Roundup BK. should come right up. So another announcement. Some of you have asked me about this, and I didn't say anything at first. Uh, I have not been writing for SoftRep this month so far, and some of you guys were asking me why. Uh, basically, long story short, they had to work out some financial things, and basically all the part-time writers were kind of Put on hiatus. So I was like, ah, you know what? I've been doing a news roundup for soft rep for like two fucking years without missing a week. So I took the month off. Uh, may or may not get back to that pretty soon. I hope to. Uh, also, I will be at the SHOT Show in Las Vegas. Of course, this week I'm heading out there and I hope to have at least, one, there's going to be at least one podcast from the SHOT Show that'll probably be out Tuesday night. Uh, now, after that, I don't know if I'm going to do another show that Friday or not. I'm still on the fence. It kind of depends on travel and everything, but I might take a little bit of a break. But I'm definitely going to do at least one and possibly two from Las Vegas, so you guys will be all fixed up. I got some great interviews lined up with some heavy hitters. I don't want to uh, jinx it, so I'll just leave it at that. But finally, we're going to have the podcast back with a guest. It's been a while, so I'm excited for that. So those are the announcements. Uh, stay tuned, everybody, for next week. Uh, thank you one more time for coming in from all over the world. Austria, you're making an appearance this week in the stats. I saw a bunch of people from Austria turning up. Ireland, Australia, worldwide here. We're doing it. I love it. It's fun for me to do, and I really appreciate 
each and every one of you listening. So with that being said, go ahead, play us out, Dolores, and I will see you all next week.